0: Good morning, my name is Matt and uh, I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, Before I jump into the sermon, uh, I'd like to just uh, take a minute and... um with, with all the events that have been unfolding this past week, um, both in Ukraine and, and Russia, um, I wanted to just take a minute to just pray. We have a, a family, a couple families actually, here at, uh, at Roswell um, who have family in Ukraine. They're Ukrainian by family and birth, uh, both the, the Burkadas, uh, Oksana and Andrew. Andrew's running uh, sound for us today. And uh, as well as uh, Tanya Gray, who's serving in kids right now. So, um, you know, it's funny. I thought about the two songs, the last two songs we just sang, right? Um, there's nothing better than you, right? There's nothing you can't do. That's one reality, right? And like, and then simultaneously it is well with my soul. And I just kept thinking, ironically, I think that's the prayer, particularly for the people of Ukraine today, right? That, that somehow there would be a sense of like, you know what, there's nothing he can't do. And then simultaneously, it can somehow still be well with our soul. So, so would you join me, would you stand and just join me in prayer as we, as we pray for, um, for the people of Ukraine, the brothers and sisters there. Father, um, there are times where we just uh, feel wildly impotent to to be able to, in in the scope of geopolitical realities and and complexities, uh, many of which are well above any of our understanding. Um, We we know they're not above you. And so um, imagining what it would be like to to have foreign tanks rolling on Washington, D.C. right now or... Uh, it's almost unimaginable, and so it can feel way far away. But it's very real for 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 the people of Ukraine today. And, and so today, we just want to come before you, and we want to raise our voices and raise our hearts to you, and and ask for your mercy. And and Lord, we ask for peace. You, you are going to one day beat all um, all spears into plowshares, but that's not today. And we are still in the wars and rumors of wars, timing, and and we long for the true hope of your salvation to be manifested there glory to be across the world and across the earth and and one day it will be but it is not today and so today we we mourn and we grieve and we ask for your for your favor we ask for your power uh, not because it's not available and present but we ask as your people that you would bring about justice and that there would be flourishing that there would be peace there would be peace in Ukraine peace in Russia Lord, you're the one who appoints and you're the one who deposes, you say. And so that means that everything that's going on right now, as confusing and as troubling, um, as maybe sometimes it feels wrong and evil, we want to ask, Lord, that, that we would find ourselves in, the, in a place of trusting your sovereignty. We ask, Lord, that you would move in the hearts of those that are making decisions, that there would be wisdom and that there would be clarity for all of those that are trying to maneuver in a way that allows there to bring about peace, that are trying to use influence and economically, but we come with spiritual influence asking you, Lord, to be able to change the mind and hearts of men. For your glory and your purposes, we ask, glorify yourself in this, we pray, and, and have mercy on our brothers and sisters in Ukraine, and the men and women, the children who are in fear and uncertainty right now. We we ask, Lord, you are the God who is near, and so would you be near for them today? On this Sunday, for all those that, that claim your name and that know Christ, would you give them the courage to be the hope of Jesus in a dark time? Would you awaken souls? Would you refresh them with the gospel in the midst of a time where it seems like there should be no refreshment? We trust you. You are the light of the world. The epiphany is the time where we remember you're the light of the world. And so, Lord, would you be light into this situation? Have mercy, we pray. Make our hearts tender towards you as we, as we, as we in a sense, reach across the ocean and, and are present with those that are in need. We love you. We know you love us. We know you love the people of Ukraine. You love the people of Russia. And so, Lord, have mercy. Show your faithfulness once again, we pray in Christ. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Let me read from John. Hear the word of the Lord. Jesus in the upper room says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command you, one another this is the word of the lord thanks be to god well we're in a a series um the past several weeks about community This year we're focusing on being the kind of people who live out their calling and and we do so in particular in the context of community, a committed community of people. And so we started a few weeks ago looking at the Trinity and how at the center of the universe there's this relationship and how we're born out of that reality, invited into that reality by God himself, by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, blessing and delighting one another. And we get to be drawn into that and then in him be able to offer that to everyone we're with. And a couple weeks ago, we looked at being a community of light, being the kind of people who are going to be truth-tellers to one another, both about ourselves in confession and to others in confronting, that we would be a community of light. And then last week, we talked about what it looks like to be a community of care. The kind of people who bear one another's burdens, who give courage to one another, who who build up, who show hospitality, who pray with one another, who are knit together in intercessory prayer as we lift one another's burdens. Well at the confluence of a community of care and a community of light if you those of you familiar with venn diagrams and some of you hate venn diagrams i totally understand but imagine a venn diagram where you kind of have this, this community of light and this community of care and we're going to add a couple more circles to that today like at the center of that there's what i would say is is, is true friendship at the center of a community of uh, a committed community is true Biblical friendship. And I would argue that that's where marriage sits also, right there at the center, but that's a different sermon. So today, what we're gonna do is we're gonna look, it's gonna be a little bit of tricky sermon, so you have to follow me later, but we're gonna gonna look at what is true about a committed community, which is what we've been talking about, that is also true about friendship. And then we're gonna tip this a little bit, like turn it a little bit, and, and look at what is true of friendship that is not necessarily true of committed community. And lastly we're going to look at what it means to be a good friend. So first let's let's look at what is true of committed community that is also true of friendship. Well, we talked just a minute ago about being a community of care, right? We talked about that last week, being a community of care. And I don't think there's a, obviously, there's probably not a clearer picture of friendship from a caring, engaging, sacrificing um, imagery than we have with David and Jonathan, right? They're kind of the quintessential friends of the Bible. And people name their kids Jonathan and David, you know, because they, they want them to be buddies. Well, or some, John and James, that works too, just so we're clear. I'm not taking that away from the twins. Um, but you have this moment, David, as you know, is, is, is running from Saul at one point, and Jonathan, who is the heir to the throne, is so close to David, and, and Saul has been against David, and, and we find this moment here where, uh, in 1 Samuel chapter um, 23, where you see what it means to be a friend who gives courage, right? We talked about that last week, being a friend who, who is encouraging, gives courage. So starting in verse 15, it says, David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Zith and at Horish, and, and Jonathan, Saul's son, which is amazing that they clarify that, even though we already know this from all the previous moments. Just to be clear, he rose and went to David at Horish, And what did he do? He strengthened his hand in God, and he said to him, David, do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and shall be next, and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows this. I don't know if there, in, in a context of friendship, which we'd say applies also in community, there's a clear moment of someone building someone up when they're in the bottom, of giving courage when well, all courage should have faltered. I mean, when you have a spear thrown at you by the king and 3,000 men of his are running around trying to kill you, like you're at the bottom. He says he helped him find strength in God. We see in them what we, of course, no one else sees. That's what it means, right? Jonathan sees something in David. He says, listen, I want you to know that I know you're going to be king. You may be forgetting it in this moment, but I'm reminding you, I'm building you up in what is true. You may not see this in you, but I see it in you. A community of care gives courage. There's a, a famous moment, many of you who are baseball fans probably know this, but, uh, but Jackie Robinson, who was the first black man to, to play major league baseball and kind of break through that, that baseball color barrier. He faced pretty much jeering at every single baseball venue he went to across the nation. While he was playing one day in his home stadium of Brooklyn, um, he made the catastrophic mistake of having an error and the fans just began to ridicule him. So he stood there on second base, humiliated head down while the fans jeered on and on. And then suddenly to everyone's surprise, Pee Wee Reese, the shortstop came over and put his arm around Jackie Robinson and the fans went quiet. Robinson would later say that that arm over his shoulder saved his career. A friend stands beside you at the risk of their time, at the risk of their energy, of their reputation, of the the convenience of their life, and bears the burden with. Points to who we are, points to the Father. That's true of friendship, and that's true of committed community. Community who cares. Community of care. And we also as a community of care, we're also a community of light, right? And friends are people of light and of truth. Proverbs, one of the well-known verses on friendship says, Proverbs 27, 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. When a friend speaks hard truth, It feels like a wound, but they are faithful. Friends speaks the truth. Oh, accepts you the way you are, but loves you too much to leave you where you are. Loves by telling the truth. And this is what friends do, right? We tell the truth about ourselves and we, we invite others when they find themselves ensnared to rescue them, to draw them out. So community of light, community of care, friends are people of light, people of care. But we're also, one of the the fundamental elements of what it means to be a friend, to have a true friendship, to have functional community in its essence is, is consistency and intentionality. Consistency and intentionality, which sound way less interesting or way less grandiose than care, which is encouragement and all this, and you know, light. I like can go to the Bible all over the place for this and go all, the place, all over the place for this. And you're not gonna do a sermon on intentionality and consistency. Although, Ivy, your face is telling me I should, but we're not gonna. Um, but it seems like, wait, wait, wait. wait. The, one of the primary functions of French, one of the primary realities and, and bedrocks of community is consistency, intentionality. Well, a very recent released book um, by uh, Jenny Allen, um, who's an author and a DTS grad, that's for you, Jay. Um, she wrote a book called, Find Your People, Building Deep Community in a Lonely World. And she breaks down kind of these five pr- practical principles of what kind of the ingredients, if you will, of what's going to make a friendship, a true friendship, flourish, grow, succeed, and be life-giving. And she's found that all her research basically lands on these five. One is proximity, that you're nearby one another. And that's very true, especially in our growing up years, right? We have limited access, but proximity, geographic proximity between individuals. Two, vulnerability. Well, that's we've already talked about that in the last two weeks, both times. The ability to be open and, and honest with one another where we really are. Accountability, living in the light. A willingness to lovingly call one another out on towards what is true. But her last two are fascinating. One of them is consistency. Key ingredients to be able to have a flourishing, life-giving friendship is consistency. The commitment to stay when life becomes difficult. And that's just not when their life gets difficult, we can think about that, We're like, oh man, community's hard because you know, like, their life's gotten really heavy and difficult, but even when your life gets difficult. I just, I don't have any more bandwidth for anyone else anymore, just a lot going on in my world. Consistency is a commitment to stay when life continues to be difficult or becomes difficult. We talked about what are the marks of, whether or not you know you're in community, it's, is, is do you have rhythmed relationships? You guys remember me talking about that? Do you have, a relations, do you have relationships that have a consistent rhythm to them? Where it is not thrown off by a degree of busyness this week, or, or or the fear of a better offer coming on that particular Thursday night. Intentionality, which, which for us in in twenty second, twenty second century, turns out twenty twenty two doesn't put us in the twenty second century. <laughs> Do not be dismayed; we're still in the twenty first century. <laughs> okay, in the twenty first century, one of the things that that means—you ready to go all the way to the bottom? Things you're not going to find in the Bible. It's calendaring your life. A bunch of us are like, you know, I just don't feel like I'm connecting with people or feeling connected to, it's like, is it on your calendar? Rhythmed relationship. The implication of rhythmed relationship is that we prioritize the things that matter by putting them on something that's not going to be moved. I hear this, I'm gonna, ready? really, we're gonna go. I hear this, I'm never supposed to clap. Um, I hear this um, sometimes in community groups that are, they're, they're asking like, hey, so are we meeting this week? And like I just wanna say, like, why is that a question? Like, like yeah, we're meeting, we meet on this day. That's what we do, right? I mean, the, the goal is to be like, I, I know that I can count on these people being with me or connected with me because they've committed to being alongside me in the journey that I'm in. I've committed to being alongside them in this journey. So the question of like, are, are we meeting or not is not really a question. If, if you're asking that question, you don't have a rhythm. And some of you know this, right? You moved away from somewhere and you, you no longer were able to like meet every week with someone or meet every, every month with someone and, it's, and it fizzled out because your rhythm dropped. Intentionality and consistency is, is the bedrock. It's, by the way, do you know why Leviticus exists? It's because God's like, you know what you're gonna need? A ton of rhythmed relationships. A ton but with me in particular, with God. saying, like, you're going to need rhythmed relationships with me. So on this day, you do this. On these days, you do this. Because if they're not there, we wander around like lost sheep. And that's true relationally. And, and you know, we know this, right? And you are know, like, never before do we find ourselves going, like, there's just so many things to put on the calendar. So many. All right. I've gone off script. Maybe it's Holy Spirit script, we'll see, you know. I meet with a group of guys on Thursday nights, almost eight years now. And the question isn't, are we meeting this week? The question is like, where are we meeting? Do you have people that are consistent in your life, that are intentional in your life? Are you intentional and consistent in people's lives? All right. Last is a community of mission. Our, uh, our statement for community groups. This is what we envision to be true for community groups. It's the way we envision because those are, in a sense, um, our I use the word artificial as in like created mechanically forms of how we want to move towards committed community, okay? That's what community groups are. They're not magical. They're just a context in which committed community both begins and flourishes. But here's here's our purpose behind committed community. Purpose of community groups and committed community RCC is to stir up the life of Christ in one another through the Holy Spirit to stir up the life of Christ in one another. I have the life of Christ in me, you have the life of Christ in you. We're gonna stir it up in one another through the Holy Spirit, who's by the way, the one who does the stirring, so that in order that we would be the kind of people who have holiness of character in the light, light people, that we'd have love for one another, that we would care for one another, and that we would be people who have mission to neighbor, that are alive to the sense of calling that God's given us and that we're moving out into the world on mission, on purpose. Let me remind you that the inworking of the gospel in our hearts should always lead to an outworking of the gospel in love to our neighbors. Whether that's personal evangelism, service to certain areas of need or care, pursuit of justice, the gospel at work in us shows up as the gospel at work around us, through us. And community is meant to be a context, committed community, Committed friendship is meant to be a context in which we call, invite, challenge, remind each other that we're on a mission. That the kingdom of God is here and that we're a part of that. So friendship and community community is a community on mission. So we're a community of light, a community of care. A consistent community and a community on mission—that's that's what it looks like, and that's that's what I would say are the, the characteristics of that are true of of friendship, that are also true of of community, or that are true of, of a committed community, that are also true of your friends. So, what is true of a friendship? And by the way, I just want to say, like there, there are, we have we need lots of different kinds of relationships, right? And I think we have, like, said, so we run out of buckets. It's like we have two buckets. You have, like, friends and, like, I don't know, acquaintance. That's, like, all we got. Like, that, that's not how it works. There are far more categories or contexts of relationship. A mentor is not necessarily a friend, but it can be pivotal in your life and development. A, a, a co-church member, right? Us being connected in community because we're all together here. Y'all may not know you and, that, and that's okay, but we're, we're here together taking the elements, hearing the word of God. We're, we're trying to be all together in a general direction on mission. That's, that's good. You don't have to be all committed community to one another. You couldn't handle it. Too many people, it's not gonna work. We have family, of course. You have what I'll call like your affinity groups, right? Like your chess club, your your tennis group, your you know Comic Con tribe, whatever. You know, like I don't know why that's funnier. I mean, that's fine. It's awesome. Um, I don't dress as a superhero anymore, but you know, like still. Um, so there are right, and and friendship has a unique. Place a particular place, but it is it is unique in the sense that it's in the middle of, and I would say, this is maybe the way of understanding, I would say every true friendship, every true biblical friendship is part of your committed community, but not everybody in your committed community is a friend. Okay, so this, I'm trying to delineate those just a little bit. So let's walk through this a little bit. What, what, what makes up, in addition to, not to the exception of, but in addition to all the things we just talked about, care, light, mission, continuity and consistency. What are the things that are particular or that seems to be maybe in addition to or maybe expanded in the context of friendship as we see them played out even in scripture and beyond? One, uh, and I think this is probably the most important one is to understand that friendship also has, in addition to being spiritual friendship in a sense, which we would say in committed community, is also what I'll say is uh, Well, it's affinity. It's, I I call it just delight. Here's what I mean. Well, let me just let C.S. Lewis explain it to us because he's better. Um, Here's what C.S. Lewis says. He wrote several amazing books that talk about friendship, but he says, um, friends are not primarily absorbed in each other. This is so pivotal to understand. It is when we are going. Th- sorry, it is when we are doing things together that friendship springs up. Painting, sailing ships, praying, philosophizing, fighting shoulder to shoulder. Friends look in the same direction. Lovers, on the other hand, look at each other that is in opposite directions. What he's trying to delineate there is like, there's a, there's a certain kind of dynamic at play, potentially in a marital relationship or in a romantic relationship. And in that case, we're look, those, those people are looking at each other, gazing into each other's eyes, if you will, to say, isn't it delightful that we are connected to one another? And it says, looking at each other with that kind of a, of a love connection. Friendship's not like that. And again, spouses should be friends. It's actually more important, but, but friendship is actually two people side by side, looking in the same direction, going like, hey, we're heading in this way. We're heading that direction together That's what friendship is Let me there's a second quote that's going to help us with this Uh, C.S. Lucent again in, in the four loves says friendship arises out of mere companionship when two or more of the companions discover that they have a common they have in common some insight or interest, or even taste, which the other do not share, and which till that moment each believed to be his own unique treasure or burden. The typical expression of opening friendship would be something like, what? You too? I thought I was the only one. You see, it's it's not a gazing towards one another as, as, as erotic or erotic love would be, as no, it's, it's looking out. Friendship is, is on the move towards God, towards, towards flourishing, towards life itself. Which means that being a good friend is being someone who is going somewhere. That together we get to look and say, we're going this way together. It's not hunting for friendship. Friendship is not about the friendship. Say so that again friendship is not about the friendship. You can't just want friends, or you're going to make the friend the object. Friendship, biblical, true, alive friendship is two people side by side who are not looking at their friendship as the object of their friendship, but as the common reality of of their affinity, their desire, their longing, their delight, and particular things that connect them together. You look at the Jonathan and David kind of episodes throughout the entirety of the Old Testament, through the entirety of the uh, of first Samuel, and you realize the two of them are actually side by side. They're not just rolling around, reveling in their friendship. Isn't it great that we're friends? We're such good friends. Friendship is awesome. Like this, this like BFF is the only thing where there's an idolatry of having a friend. Like loved ones, I, I gotta be honest. I, I think we, lo- people are so lonely. And that includes people in this room by default, just by the nature of statistics. We are so lonely and we long for friendship so much that we come and bring to someone else the, I want to be a friend. Will you be my friend? And in so doing, we kill the thing that we're trying to have. That's why Jesus says, you know, you want to lose your life. You want to find your life? You lose it. If you want to find friendship, if you want to experience the delight and the beauty and the awesome thing that comes from true, deep friendship, it can't be the object. It won't work. It'll destroy it. Friends aren't takers, they're sharers. They're they're, they're sharers in and they're sharers with. And because friendship is a, is, a, is a choosing, a deliberate choosing of relationship, it's not like family, which you don't get to choose. It's not like romantic interests, which you choose in a very particular kind of way. It's not civic responsibilities or, or allegiances. It's a non-obligatory relationship, which is why it's so powerful. And of course, why it's therefore so vulnerable. And some of us, some of us don't have friends or struggle with friendships, the the real kind that we're talking about here. And and I want to say this with with grace and gentleness and and, and tenderness, but we have to be honest, first of all, about what we expect out of our friendships, Out, out of what we're longing for in it. Some of us go to friends because we want them to save us. Some of them want someone to see us for the first time. We want not a friend. We want a counselor. Or we want somebody who's going to replace, you know, like be a surrogate dad. or we want someone who's, who's never going to disagree with us or who's never going to disappoint us. <laughs> so we don't want a friend. We want someone at our beck and call. We want someone who's never going to let us down. We don't want a friend. The BFF myth that there's the idea that there's someone who can be that person who's going to satisfy my desires for friendship and longing to be connected is false. I may have thought so, you know, you had like your BFF ring with your friend and and then she moved away. And it's like, I will never love again, right? I mean, it's just this like, it's all over. We'll never, it's not true. First of all, we need a a broad portfolio of of friends, of multiple kinds. And, And in my experience, we had this, I had a community group years ago, and we had some folks come in, they'd recently joined the church. And they joined our community group and, and I, this was, should have been like, it was, it was flags going off right and left, but like the, the guy said, hey, listen, one of the reasons why we really want to be in this community group is like, especially like my wife, she just doesn't have any friends and we really need her to have friends, I really need her to have friends. So many flags, um, but you know, I really need her to have friends. So, um, and they entered our community group and it was terrible. Like there was it, the demand, the, 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 it was suffocating. If, if you don't come through for me, it, it was terrible. A requirement, a demand for someone to be something for me is not a friendship. It will never work. And I, my experience is that when, when folks are struggling and feeling like they don't have friends, they, they typically tend to blame other people who do, for not being their friend. It's someone else's fault. Instead of being curious about why don't I? I had, and man, this is like one of the most courageous people I know. I had someone probably about four months ago. He's like, hey, can we have coffee? He's like, sure, so we sat down and had coffee. Um, someone from Roswell and uh, basically he had a question for me he said what is it about the way that people experience me that makes it so difficult for me to have friends can you imagine asking that question like the, the, the courage to be like, I'm going to assume in light of taking inventory of my life about the things that seem to be consistent over time of what is it about some of the way that I get experienced that makes people go like, cool, I'm just going to keep some distance here. I'm not going to actually be friend to you. And so we spent, I mean, I was like, okay, let's, let's do this. And we talked as honestly as I could at the moment and reflected and gave him some thoughts later on. Ask them to pray about it. That, thats the heart of a friend, though. One of the reasons why this matters so much, and why the reason why why, why friendship is pivotal to, to both put next to and, and in a sense inside committed community, but to delineate one from the other, is that if you don't have if we don't have a clear understanding of friendship, particularly from the idea of affinity, and we're going to talk about loyalty in a minute from the idea of affinity, if we don't understand what friendship is, we're not gonna be able to protect ourselves from ruining the really good connective relationships of committed community that we can have and do have. And, and this, is, this is the way I wrote it on a whiteboard. I said, I said, we come sometimes, we come to community for friends and often we get a committed community and we're disappointed and so we leave it. A committed community is not the same as friendship. Friendship can be born out of committed community, 100%, it's actually a great context in which those things grow, but it is not the same. They're both important. I would wager to say that a committed community is actually more important because of the breadth of what it means, that there should be a cadre of folks that are your committed community and they have different ages and stages and, and seasons of life and history with you. And that's what a committed community looks like. They're in and they're with you, they're for you, etc. But maybe you don't have affinity. Like Steve loves to fish, I don't like to fish. But you know, we have enough of the same senses of humor we like big words. He uses them way more than I do. I just like them. He's not here. It's so unfortunate. He's on vacation. Like, oh, if you're watching, Steve, that's for you. But, but we'll ruin committed community by demanding it to be friendship, loved ones. We must be open-handed, and this is why it matters. Let me let me get to. We'll get to. How this plays out. The, the second key component that I think is is particular to, to to friendship, not the exclusion of committed community, but particular to friendship because of its intensity and and, and substance. And that's 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 loyalty. Um, community communities have elements of loyalty in them, no doubt about it. But what we're talking about here is true loyalty, the, which is I think the most most selfless part of love and the strongest part of courage. And we see it, of course, in David and Jonathan, where, you know, um, (laughs) David doesn't show up for day two of the feast and and, and with Saul and all the other guys, because, you know, Saul's trying to kill him. And Jonathan's like, uh, yeah, actually I gave him the day off and um, I'm trying to protect David from his father. And his father throws a spear at him. So we'll leave the counseling necessities aside from what he's going to need after that. But, but like his father, just his father throws a spear at him because he's for and defending what is good and true and right, which he actually knows in his friend, loyalty, and loyalty in particular in the face of adversity. Proverbs 17, 7 famously says, a friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for adversity. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. In his book on uh, on friendship, a guy named Greg uh, Ingrid, Ingrid tells a story about these, these two boys uh, named Jim and Steve's true story about these two young boys. They, they grew up in the same neighborhood, they played together outside, we were super tight friends. They liked some of the same things. They went to school together. Uh, they were even, you know, the, the, the two that were brought to, the, to have the special meeting with the principal, you know, when their, one of their science experiments didn't go so well in the girls' bathroom. Um, so they were tightly knit. They went to college together. And when it came for their opportunity to volunteer for war, as wars began to rage across the world, Jim and Steve enlisted together. Having learned to fight, they were shipped to the front. And during a particularly bloody, bloody exchange on the front lines, Jim saw that Steve had been severely wounded and was, was laying about a hundred feet or so from his trench. And, and so he began to climb out of the trench to go to him. And his sergeant grabbed him and pulled him back in this trench and said, said, what are you doing? Can't you see that he's already going to die? There's nothing you can do. Stay here. Well, as soon as the sergeant has turned his back, as you imagine, Jim was up and out of the trench. Dodging bullets as best he could and barbed wire, he reached Steve, and he brought him all the way back to the trench. As he got him back to the trench, though, he realized that he, too, had been mortally wounded. And the sergeant looked at, looked at Jim in and, a and mixture of both frustration and admiration and said, You fool. Look what you did, your friend is already dead, and now you also are dying. You wasted your life. But Jim, who was moving towards death, his limbs getting cold, looked at the sergeant and said, oh no, serge, you don't understand. You see, when when I reached Steve, the last thing he said to me was, I knew you'd come, Jim. I knew you'd come. Proverbs 17 says, a brother is born for adversity. It's standing in and standing by when things get really rough. As one person said, a friend walks in when the rest of the world walks out. And of course, that's that's a heroic picture of friendship, right? That you lay down your life for a friend There's a question was asked, and it's C. Raymond Barron is the one who's credited with this particular uh, explanation about what is friendship. I think it captures it well. He says, friends are people with whom you dare to be yourself. Your soul can be naked with them. They ask you to put on nothing, only to be what you are. They do not force you to be better or worse. When you're with them, you feel as though, as a prisoner feels when he's been declared innocent. You do not have to be on your guard. You can say what you think as long as it's genuinely you. Friends understand those contradictions in your nature that lead others to misjudge you. With them, you breathe freely. You can own up to your little vanities, and envies, and and hates, and vicious sparks. Your meannesses and absurdities, and in opening them up to the friends. They are lost, dissolved on the white ocean of their loyalty. They understand. You do not have to be careful. You can even abuse them, neglect them, and tolerate them. Best of all, you can keep still with them. It makes no matter. They like you. They are like fire that purges to the bone. They know. You can weep with them, sing with them, laugh with them, pray with them, through it all and underneath. They see, know, and love you. A friend? What is a friend? Just one, I repeat, with whom you dare to be yourself. This week, um, David Wilhite said it this way. I said, what what is a friend? And David Wilhite said, a friend is someone with whom my soul can be at rest. So how do we become good friends? I don't know about you, but I read that, I hear that and I, uh, like I I long, right? I, I want this to be more true, increasingly true. Well, how do we become good friends? Well, first of all, We have to be honest with where we really are. We have to trust God for friendships. If you don't have, or haven't had, or it's been a long time since you've had meaningful lasting friendships, the invitation is to ask God for them. And C.S. Lewis explains why. He says, in friendship, we think WE HAVE CHOSEN OUR PEERS." THIS IS A VIEW OF SOVEREIGNTY THAT IS JUST SUCH A COOL TWIST ON IT. HE SAYS, IN FRIENDSHIP WE THINK WE HAVE CHOSEN OUR PEERS. IN REALITY, A FEW YEARS DISTANCE IN THE DATES OF OUR BIRTH, A FEW MORE MILES BETWEEN CERTAIN HOUSES, THE CHOICE OF ONE UNIVERSITY INSTEAD OF ANOTHER, THE ACCIDENT of OF A TOPIC BEING RAISED OR NOT RAISED AT THE FIRST MEETING, ANY OF THESE CHANCES MIGHT HAVE KEPT US APART. BUT, FOR A CHRISTIAN, THERE ARE, STRICTLY SPEAKING, NO CHANCES. LISTEN. A secret master of ceremonies has been at work. Christ, who said to his disciples, ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, can truly say to every group of Christian friends, ye have not chosen one another, but I have chosen you for one another. The friendship is not a, listen, listen. A friendship is not a reward for our discriminating and good taste in finding one another out. It is the instrument by which God reveals to each of us, the beauties of others. God gives friendships, ask him. Secondly, make room for friendships. How do we become good friends? How do we become good at friendship? How do we become the kind of people who are connected in friendship? If it's not there, if there's very little of it, or it's been a long time, or there's distance, start giving yourself to a context of of committed community. Whether that's a community group or a particular study of some sort, give yourself into a context, an avenue, where you can become the kind of person who is a friend, a good friend. Which means that we we enter, right? We, We don't retreat, we don't go Where are all the friends? Look at all those people. They seem to be connected to one another. Why am I not? We don't retreat into self-pity. Instead, we're present with others. Not demanding, but open. Being the kind of people who listen well, who ask questions well. I have a friend of mine. He was telling me about a conversation he had with his teenage son uh, a couple weeks ago. His son said, hey, how do you talk to dad? How do you talk to girls? Just super easy. Oh, some you want to know what the answer is? And, um, but he said, you know, he's very vulnerable. He's like, listen, I actually have a really tough time. I had, I had a really tough time when I was your age and maybe still has a tough time, I'm not sure. Um, but he said, um, he said, here's the thing. He, you know, he said, I don't know what to say. The son's like, I just feel like I said the wrong thing. Everyone just rolls their eyes. And he said, tell you what, best advice I can give you is just start asking questions and then listen and then ask some questions about the thing that they said, and then listen some more. And then invite them a little bit into how what they said is connected to some of the true things about you. Now, I know you're going like, that's pretty stinking elementary, Matt. That seems like solid advice and, you know, good stuff. It's like, you know what's crazy? It's like we forget that that's how it works. Those of us who struggle with friendships, oftentimes we come saying, know me, want to be with me. And the invitation of the gospel that says, I'm known, says, how can I know you? How can I enter into where you are? How can I know what's important to you? Oh, and then how in that can I share with you what's important to me? That affinity and loyalty may be built. So enter. But lastly, and most significantly, we have to. The only way any of us are ever going to be significant friends, the kind of people who live in committed communities, or as if we see Jesus as the ultimate friend. I know you're thinking, okay, Jesus is the answer to the sermon. It's like, yeah, yeah, it is, it is. Proverbs 18, 24 says, there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. The word friend there literally means one who loves. Friend of Christ is being loved by the one who loves. We just read at the beginning there, John in John 15, he says, greater love has no one than this, then he lay down his life for his friend, and then the next sentence is, has a lot in it, but but the next few words are, "And you are my friends. If you do as I like command, you are my friends." He, he flips the tables on it. Not not you've earned the right to be my friends, or I need you to be my friends. No, you are my friends. And he says, i you didn't choose me." I chose you. Who's going to meet the deepest loneliness, longings for connection, belonging, friendship? Who's going to enter in to rescue us from isolation and fear and shame? The old hymn tells us, what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and fears, all our sins and griefs. All our, well, there's an old hymn that has some line in there. Come on. I say old. I don't mean that if you should. Who else, What is it? All our sins and griefs. griefs to bear. Yeah. Okay. That was close. I didn't write it down because I knew it, right? Um, in, in light of that, I thought about um, what, what uh, Raymond Barron wrote about with the, how much that longing for friendship like emerges off those pages. And I realized, you know what's funny about that as I read that the first time. I was like, it sounds like Jesus. And so I did a little bit of a rewrite here. So if you'll indulge me, why don't you just close your eyes. Just listen to this. I retitled it, Who is Jesus? Jesus is the one with whom you can dare to be yourself. Your soul can be naked with him. He asks you to put on nothing, only to be what you are in him. He does not want you to try to make yourself better without him. When you're with him, you feel as a prisoner feels when he's been declared innocent. You don't have to be on your guard. You can say what you think as long as it's genuinely you. Jesus understands those contradictions in your nature that lead others to misjudge you. But with him, you breathe freely. You can own up to your little vanities and envies and hates and vicious sparks, your meannesses and absurdities, and in opening them up to him, they are lost, dissolved on the white ocean of his loyalty. He understands. You do not have to be careful. Believe it or not, you can abuse him, neglect him, even tolerate him. Best of all, YOU CAN BE STILL WITH HIM, IT it MAKES NO MATTER, HE LIKES YOU. HE IS LIKE FIRE THAT PURGES TO THE BONE, HE KNOWS. YOU CAN WEEP WITH HIM, SING TO HIM, LAUGH WITH HIM, PRAY TO HIM, THROUGH IT ALL AND UNDERNEATH HE SEES, HE KNOWS, AND HE LOVES YOU. JESUS? WHO IS JESUS? JUST THE ONE, I REPEAT with whom you can dare to be yourself. Loved ones, to the degree that we know that Jesus calls us friend, to that degree, will we be able to be the kind of people who can be friend, can be committed community, with loyalty and affinity to one another. Henry Nouwen famously wrote, when you are aware that you are the beloved, when you know that you are a friend of Jesus, And then when you have friends around you with whom you live in community, you can do anything. Isn't that amazing? You're not afraid anymore. You're not afraid to knock on the door while somebody's dying. You're not afraid to open a discussion with a person who underneath all the glitter is much in need of ministry. You're free. 2,000 years ago, Jesus left the if you will the glory and the safety if you will of his trench and he saw us rolling around dead near death and he came for us and one of the things that happens when we when we come to this table every week is that we're supposed to be reminded by it by the magnitude of what it represents that we can trust we can remember we can be the kind of people that say I knew you'd come and loved ones, if you belong to him, he came for you. You have a friend, an ultimate friend. And from the, from the clarity, from the depth, from the substance of what is true of Jesus and what he did for us, we get to be and can become the kind of people who have significant, deep, lasting, transform- transformative friendships and connected communities. That's the beauty of the gospel. And that's what we remember every time we take these elements. And so as you come this time, as you come today, and you receive the elements, we're not going to have any words on the screen today, just, just come forward. and As you come forward, take, take the cup and just, just remember, He came. And to the degree that you know that He, indeed, you knew that He would come for you. That's the reality of the gospel for you this morning. So come and, and receive it. Let's pray. Father, what a friend we have in Jesus. In so many ways, I know that we, we don't fully hold that. We don't fully get that. We certainly don't fully understand it, but you've said it and, and we're invited. And so, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, would you, would you draw us into the center of the beauty of the Trinity that we may be the kind of people who are free alive. We can do anything because of what's true of us and with us and in us because of Jesus. So we receive these elements as your grace to us. Thank you for being a friend who lays down his life for his friends. We worship you and we praise you in Christ. Amen. Well, if you belong to Jesus,